Well, aloha and good morning. Happy Monday. Thanks for starting your week out with us. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. And again, we continue to focus on the pandemic and its far-reaching impact on many sectors in our community. And so we're talking with two individuals that represent a large group and demographic of those working in our communities. That's right, Ryan. This morning we are talking with restaurants and retail. Joining us live this morning is Tina Yamaki of the Retail Merchants of Hawaii, along with Greg, Greg Maples, who represents the Hawaii Restaurant Association. Thank you both for being here. You know, you've both joined us throughout the pandemic. We really appreciate it. And we asked you back here today to kind of get a pulse because we're sort of entering this I wouldn't call it post-pandemic because we still see cases. We're still very much in the pandemic, but things are clearly transitioning. Tina, let's start with you. How are the retailers doing right now as compared to where they were, you know, a couple months ago when we were in a much more severe lockdown? You know, for retailers, we still haven't recovered. We're seeing more people and more traffic coming into the stores, but they're much more disconcerting on what they're buying. They're looking for the great sales and the deep discounts when they're coming in. And, you know, even with a lot of the mainland visitors coming back now, they're not spending like they used to. It's a different type of visitor that's here. Um, so retailers, you know, their income hasn't gone up quite a lot, you know, as what people assumed it is. Um, they're still very much struggling even to pay their bills. And Greg, same question for you. What are you seeing now as we enter this maybe second phase of the pandemic? Yeah, so I think it's similar to what uh, Tina has talked about, you know, the hole that was dug for restaurants and, and retailers as well by the pandemic is so big. It's going to take us a long time for us to be able to um, to fill that hole. We need a long time, years of really great sales in order to fill that hole. You know, one of the things that's important to realize is that um, only one third of all restaurants on all eight islands received any kind of financial help, whether that's idle PPP or um, any kind of a grant. So two thirds of the restaurants are still out there trying to make their way on uh, having had no help. And so the hole's really big. Now what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of um, uh, capacity issues because we have a lot of tourism going on right now. We have very few things open um, and not everything's back to capacity. So we have a, a long waits at restaurants. Um, we're just, we are grateful and we want to be very clear about that. We're very grateful for the governor and the mayor for all that they've done. They've been listening to us and I know they're doing all the, the best they can. So we want to make sure we give credit where credit's due. But we continue to run into the same kinds of problems that Tina talked about. Um, it's a different kind of tourist that we have here, which isn't necessarily a, um, um, a good thing or a bad thing. It's just they're different. Their expectations are different. So um, restaurants are still struggling. It's still a very, very hard business to be in uh, as we go to the pandemic, as we kind of wrap up the twilight of the pandemic. I want to bring in Troy's question here for both of you. Greg, we'll start with you on this one. He asks, if the state government requires vaccinations for entry into retail spaces and restaurants, will retailers and restaurants comply or close down? And if they will comply, why not do so now? This is particularly relevant, of course, in the city and county of Honolulu for restaurants because the mayor uh, in our new tier is allowing for restaurants to open at full capacity with vaccine verification. Can you tell us uh, what the experience has been for restaurants? Are any restaurants taking this route or is that just too cumbersome? Yeah, so the first part of that question is if the government requires us, 
Well, well, first, we don't foresee that happening. We don't foresee the government stepping in at any time and saying, in order to eat at a restaurant, you need to be vaccinated. So it's not even something we talk about because, quite honestly, we don't think that that, that's going to happen anytime soon. Now, we are grateful because this this adjustment to Tier 5, which talked about um, giving restaurants the opportunity to have um, restaurants that are 100% vaccinated, we recognize that as the mayor working on our behalf trying to give us as many opportunities as possible. Now, the reality of it is we're not qualified to be vaccine police. Some restaurants have tried doing this. One restaurant in particular tried it for about four hours. The, the feedback from the guests was, was so negative that they canceled. It was so hard on their employees. Um, I think that you'll have, because we, we, the restaurants like retailers are entrepreneurs and they wanna try new things. They wanna try to be able to do do things um, to help their business. I think we're going to have some that will try it, but overall, I think it's it's too cumbersome. Some have talked about a not, not kind of in the in the spirit of a non-smoking smoking section, a vaccination vaccinated section, a non-vaccinated session. I, I I don't think that that's going to work out. There, there's too many un, uh, unanswerable questions that we just don't want to put that burden on our employees. And Tina, we know another issue of, uh, continues to be just staffing overall and, and getting mm -hmm. employees back into our, our restaurants and in, into our stores uh, to work at some of these jobs that were left vacant after the pandemic. What are you hearing about just the overall workforce uh, in the stores and, and shops that you represent? You know, for the frontline employees, it's so hard to find workers right now. Um, you know, there's been call outs, you know, for employer employees to come in. They're doing it, you know, on social media. I even heard where some are taking TikTok resumes now. Um, they're trying to just look, you know, and kind of beat those bushes just to find employees. But it's not just retail, it's everybody. But what has happened is, you know, with the plus up and all this um, federal money coming into people's pockets, they're making more by staying at home. So they don't want to come to work right now is what we're seeing. Um, and we, you know, God bless the governor, you know, for mandating that they now have to go and, you know, at least find three jobs. Um, but what we're finding out is um, they may apply for the job, but they don't show up for the interview. Or from what we heard is that, you know, they're applying for jobs that they're not qualified for just so they can stay home. And come on, who doesn't want to stay home and get paid more money than what they're making now and be able to watch Netflix in their pajamas all day, right? Um, so we have been struggling um, looking for employees and it's just been a struggle. So we, what we have done is we've been hiring high school students now, but with school coming back in, you know, they're not going to be able to work the morning shift. It's going to be more after school as well. Um, so we're still struggling and we're hoping when the plus up goes away here in September, uh, more people are going to be apt to want to look for a job. There are some comments in here, um, Greg, about, you know, you have to increase the wages. What is the uh, sort of landscape like for people who are applying in the restaurant industry? Have wages gone up in the last year since the pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question. And the answer is absolutely. Um, because we're we're all battling for the same pool of employees, you know, you've, you've seen wages go up. So we know that eventually there's going to be a minimum wage increase. That, that's going to be less impactful as we go on because... And it will be impactful. I don't want to make it sound like that won't be. But we've had to give wages, higher wages to people that we wouldn't normally give them to be just to get them to come to work. You know, it, we've had to do bonuses. You know, at one point, I, I believe Zippy's was was doing a $3,000 sign-on bonus for managers to come aboard. There were some McDonald's doing $500 uh, sign-on bonuses. We had restaurants that were doing $50 just to show up for the 
for the uh, for the interview. But along what's happening is what we call wage creep. And so as we see, as we try to staff the restaurants, we see that wage creep come in. Now, when you have that, where do you think that that impact on the bottom line goes? Our, as restaurants, our, our costs of goods have gone up anywhere between 10 and 30% depending on, on a product. I remember a restaurant that was selling ahi. It went from $3 a pound to $20 a pound. How do you, 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 you can't adjust that in your, in your menu prices. Eventually, this because of the situation we're in, it's going to be have to be passed to the to the consumer. There's because the hole, as I mentioned, is so big behind us at, that was dug from the pandemic. As we see wage increase, we've got to pass that on to the consumer, and so it's just a vicious circle for all of us. Tina, do you foresee things maybe returning to uh, regular numbers or seeing an increase once the $300 plus up ends in September and some of these federal programs come to an end? Uh, do you anticipate maybe that there will be more people returning to the workforce uh, in an association like yours? I think I believe so. We're, we're going to see more people applying because they don't have that extra money anymore. Um, you know, we also got to realize, too, that when you're unemployed, you still got to have health insurance and all of that. And what people don't realize is Hawaii is the only state that mandates that if you work a certain amount of hours, you know, you have to have um, or the company has to provide some type of medical insurance for you. And we're the only state that does that. So that got to be added into the minimum wage and everything, too. But when you also increase the minimum wage, it's everybody else's wages go up, too, because you can't have a entry level person being paid higher than what the um supervisor is. Um, so like Greg said, you know, a lot of times this stuff gets passed on um, to the consumer. And that's why you see Hawaii prices so high a lot of times is we can't absorb all of these costs. You know, Greg, Tina mentioned uh, the high school worker, for example, having to go back to school. One of the benefits perhaps of school starting, uh, of course, is that parents will have someplace to send their kids. And we know that that was such an, an obstacle during the, the height of the pandemic, doing all this distance learning, the DOE basically really pushing hard to do full in-person classes. Do you think that that will help your workforce as well? Because now you have parents who actually have time to go to work. Yeah, and we're we're grateful for that. And we and I talk to a lot of families who have children, and they're very excited about kids going back to school, and allowing them to get back to some sense of normalcy, which means um, one or both of them being able to go back to work. And so we see that as a positive. Anything that we can do to help move the the people that we're working in our in our society back into the workforce is going to be a positive thing. You know, we're going to lose some really great high school kids. I know when I grew up, having job in high school was just a must. Um, when, when unemployment's as low as it has been in the, in the years past, sometimes high school kids don't always get the chance to work. I got to tell you, I think we're going to reap benefits from having so many high school kids in the marketplace. I think we're going to reap benefits from that for years because these are going to be some really great, great kids and workers. And Greg, I want to follow up on uh, just a few more questions specifically for restaurants. I mean, you know, when you look around town, uh, as, as Kamaaina, as local folks who are trying to get reservations, uh, it's difficult to get reservations anywhere. We're booking maybe a month out to get to a restaurant that we like uh, just because of the limitations that uh, exist out there because of demand and because of, as you said, this capacity issue. How long do you foresee that happening? I mean, do you think that uh, this is going to be something that we have to deal with uh, until all these restrictions ease up? And, and even when the restrictions ease up, do you still see 
this uh, pent up demand for people to go out and, and have to wait for hours or in some cases months to get reservations? Yeah, th those are such great questions and so relevant to what's happening in the restaurant world right now. I'm a Kama'aina. I, I have favorite restaurants and my wife and I, we simply don't get to go to the same ones that we used to because the lines are so long or are the reservations you have to put in so so much in advance. And so to, to all of our community and our locals, we say, bear with us. We're sorry. We're trying to do the best that we can. Um, I, I don't foresee this is going to change anytime soon. And, and here's a couple of reasons why. One is... Um, I, I, we hold out hope. We work daily to push to get um, the guidelines relaxed to the point where we can go back to full capacity. But in order to get everything back to normal, we need full capacity. We need staffing. We need our supply chain to be um, full and prosperous and rigorous again. But we have to get back to, you know, we have to be able to staff restaurants to have full capacity without staffing won't mean a lot other than you're gonna wait a long, lot longer for your food and a lot longer to get into the restaurant. So we've, and then the other thing to remember is we've just only received so far the influence from basically the mainland tourism. Once Asia and Europe open up, we're gonna see another influx of people traveling for the first time. And I think it's gonna cause these problems to be around for a long time. But, you know, I wanted to also add on to what Greg said, you know, retailers have been working at 100% capacity, I think, from tier three or four. But, you know, it's been open for a while. But what people don't realize is it's the social distancing. We get it. People want to be safe. And if you get too close, people give you the stink eye. But, you know, it's the social distancing that kind of hurts us, too, because we can't be at full capacity, you know, with the social distancing, you're maybe at 70% or 50%, depending on how big your location is. Um, so there is still that you're not fully at 100% capacity with social distancing in place as well. Of course, for those restrictions to lift, Tina, uh, the governor has said that we've got to get to 70% vaccinated uh, throughout the state. I'm curious to know from the businesses side, have you seen businesses mandating that their employees get vaccinated? Is that something that you expect to happen if and when the FDA does uh, fully approve the vaccinations that are on the market right now? I think right now you can mandate that your employees get vaccinated, but Hawaii, I haven't heard of any of our um, retailers who demand that. Um, but what we have seen is a lot of employees, because they are working with the public and they have seen what happens to friends and family who've had COVID, you know, they're getting out and they're getting their vaccines. I've saw a lot when um, it got down to 12 year olds, you know, you saw the whole family going to get vaccinated now. So that's a good sign. The other thing is when we're looking at that 70%, is that number taken out of, you know, those people who can't get the vaccine for medical reasons? I mean, that 70% has always been the question is, you know, how are you getting that number? Is it the total population? Or is it 70% of those people who can get vaccined? Um, you know, we're always trying to be safe, you know, when you come to a retail store, you know, we have that plastic between you and the cashier, everybody has to wear masks, we're constantly sanitizing. So you know, it is a safe place to go. And thank God, knock on wood, you know, we haven't been a cluster yet. If it has been, it has been employees only. And what we have been seeing is that they close down, they clean everything and they reopen it because we don't want to have that negative stigma as, you know, oh, that's where you can get COVID, so don't go there. You know, they're taking a very proactive measure to make sure it's safe.
During the pandemic, we've seen many businesses evolve. A lot of businesses switching to online models, mm-hmm. building up their e-commerce, and maybe closing down some of their brick and mortar locations because of the uh, feasibility issues and just the overall mm-hmm. cost savings without having to pay rent. Tina, I want to start off with you specifically with this question. Do you see a lot of those businesses and those retail merchants maybe not coming back uh, and doing things in, in a store per se and doing everything online? I mean, how has this pandemic shifted the demographics uh, of how people purchase goods uh, nowadays? You know, I think in the beginning when the pandemic started, everybody started to go online because everybody was kind of locked down at home. There were so many what ifs when you went out. So, you know, even people who are of a mature generation are Kapuna, they learn how to to order, you know, groceries online or go to, you know, whatever.com for clothing or whatever. And so we saw um, all of this online sales really go up. And we also saw an increase even prior to the pandemic where people like shopping online and then they could just go pick it up at the store. And what we found out is those stores that had a platform of online brick and mortar and also doing stuff on social media, they came out pretty strong. They pretty much survived um, the whole pandemic. And they're, you know, everybody was pivoting. How can I do this? How can I, um, you know, get more business and and looking at all of these things? Some people have now decided that, oh, we're only going to go online because during this pandemic, you know, it showed that, oh, we can survive online. What people don't realize, too, I want to point out is that In the U.S., the two largest um, online sellers, number one is Amazon. Everybody knows Amazon. And number two is Walmart. And they're both RMH members, by the way. But they drive how online shopping is being done. And if you notice, they all have brick-and-mortar stores. Amazon has actually opened up brick-and-mortar stores, too. So it has to be kind of that omni-channel. People still like to go into the stores, touch, feel, look at things. Um, You know, we've all seen on on social media, you order something and it comes, you know, you think you're getting a chair and it comes out to be really small. Um, So people still like to see things. So, um, you know, best of luck to all of those who are going online. But, you know, I think a lot of them are going to come back to brick and mortar later on. Yeah, Greg, similar question for you. We saw so many people pivot to takeout, but we know that that can be difficult for restaurants. And and I've actually seen some restaurants that say, you know, we don't do takeout anymore after a certain time because we're focused on our in-person clientele. What are you seeing in terms of the shift in restaurant that Ryan was talking about? Yeah, I think Tina made a great point. During the pandemic, restaurants like retailers did whatever they could to pivot to wherever wherever they could just to just to survive, just to try to make it through this. And then once, and in some cases they changed their model, right? They went from high end fine dining down to hamburgers and French fries because that's what that's what was able to be moved out on the takeout faster. And now we're seeing them pivot back to what they were because now that you have people, you have the capacity of of being able to fill your restaurant with with the tourists and and even some of the locals. So some of them are, are turning back and saying, yeah, we're, we're going to stay out of the, the, the takeout business because their food it doesn't fit that model. Some of them are embracing it. I know up here on the North Shore, some of our restaurants who could have open uh, seating have chose to just maintain a takeout, an online takeout presence. Um, we've also noticed that restaurants who during the pandemic pared down their menu because, for all, all kinds of reasons um, have maintained that. You know, chain restaurants, uh, mom and pops on the island have maintained a smaller menu. Um, I think for a bunch of reasons. One is supply chain. The other one is staffing, trying to get um, 
uh, just less people in your kitchen to do uh, a very large menu is, is very strenuous. And so we've seen, we've seen those changes too. The thing I know for sure is that our owners and operators are some of the most ingenious people on the planet. They're going to do whatever is the right thing to do. And they're, and they're going to figure it out. And some will, will be changed forever. They will become what, what once was a brick and mortar will now just be a takeout. Um, we call those ghost kitchens. And some will go back to the way it was because that was the model they were built on. And, and you know, to that, Greg, you know, we know that one of the other changes that happened through the Department of Health that they allowed was the cocktails to go, if you will, allowing liquor sales to happen. And so some restaurants and bars established this program where they were allowed to make drinks and people could actually pick them up with their food. Uh, that was something that changed because of the pandemic to help these restaurants and businesses. Uh, is there a push to, you know, ask the Department of Health and the state of Hawaii uh, to keep that a permanent fixture? Do you foresee things like uh, these changes for alcoholic drinks uh, to go something that will continue on beyond the pandemic? Yeah, I remember I remember being in the meeting when we asked the governor that specific uh, topic and was so grateful that he helped us. I mean, that was a huge, huge help for us in the restaurant business because for a bunch of reasons. And yeah, we're pushing to have that continue to, to stay at um, the current uh, way it is. And we've seen other states on the mainland do the same thing where they've made those changes and now they've decided to, to stay the course and they're gonna keep doing it. Because again, everything's changed from the from the pandemic. This, this was a positive one for a lot of restaurants. And I think the guests, who do enjoy that, they love to be able to, to have that uh, ability to take their <laughs> favorite drinks home. <laughs> I have a question for both of you, and, and Tina, we'll start with you. I just want to know right now, who are, who's doing well? What retailers are really succeeding? And then, Greg, if you could answer next, so what restaurants are really succeeding? Who who in this in this new economy, if you will, is really making money? And, and what what is the change there in the profile? You know, for, for retailers, you know, the ones who have been open the, all of this time, you know, it's the grocery stores because everybody needs to eat. It's, you know, some of the home improvement stores have been doing great because you had to stay home. And now that squeaky floor is really bothering you because you hear it every day. It's not like I'll fix it on the weekend and I'll do it tomorrow and it never gets done. Um, so there was a lot of home improvement projects going on. Electronic stores for a while were doing really good, too, because when kids had to start um, going online to school, they needed computers and tablets and all of that. But there is not really a segment that is, you know, doing good or, you know, a particular person or a retailer. You know, it's kind of all across the board. It's hit and miss. We're finding out those that have omni channels, like I said before, you know, brick and mortar and online, they're doing a lot better. They reached out to their customers um, for clothing stores and some of the other ones that was a little bit harder, um, especially if they're customers are on the mailer or in Asia, you know, they had to kind of reach out and do something different and they pivoted and, you know, it was like, hey, you can't come to Hawaii, let Hawaii come to you. Um, so they're still looking at that kind of stuff and just everyone is just trying to survive and just look for new ways to do that. And it's constantly evolving, but everyone is still struggling though. Still trying to, you know, they still have a lot of debt, you know, whether it's um, having to pay their commercial lease rent, which is, you know, really high, you know, a lot of debt there, no matter who you are. Um, so it's it's harsh for everybody. As far as the restaurants go, you know, I think it's easy to see the ones that are doing the best and, and have done the best throughout the pan pandemic. Clearly, if you have a drive through, you're going to you're, you've done OK. 
it hasn't been great. Um, dining rooms were closed, but people are using drive-throughs. Um, restaurants that had a menu that was um, more applicable to takeout did very well. You know, the restaurants in Waikiki, the fine dining, the, even the higher end, and even, you know, casual up, the, whose menus were hard to be portable, those are the restaurants that had it tough. The ones that are, are doing better. Now, I will say this, the ones that are doing better now, everybody's doing better. We're all doing better than we were. Um, as Tina said, we still have a big hole to fill. You know, and, and even restaurants who, who were able to postpone their rent, very few of them had their rent forgiven. What they have is balloon payments coming, right? It's, at, it's either stuck at the end or it's stuck at the end of the year. And so they're all still have this pit in their stomach knowing that somehow they're going to have to try to, to deal with that, that uh, big balloon payment coming of rent. As we end our show here today, I wanted to allow each of you the opportunity to maybe speak to the needs that you would uh, have uh, or that your constituents, the people that you rep represent, the restaurants and the retailers. What, what is the message right now for lawmakers or, or any of those in the authority uh, to make these decisions? What are you folks asking for at this point in time right now, whether it be support, whether it be lifting of mandates? What, what do you think uh, is the message right now that you have for our leaders in the community? Tina, we'll start with you. You know, for us, it's, you know, we're really grateful that, you know, retail got to open as early as it can. But, you know, we're also needing a lot of help. Just because you see people in our stores doesn't mean that we're doing so great. We still need help with commercial um, lease rent. You know, we still need a lot of help um, helping to pay our bills and to stay alive. There were a lot of people who didn't qualify for all of these loans that happened in the city or on the city and county level. And, they, and retailers are just still really struggling right now. People are not buying like how they used to. And, you know, even if you're a large retailer, a mainland retailer, you know, everyone says buy local. But these mainland retailers, we also have to remember they do hire our local friends, family, and neighbors to work in the stores. And they also use a lot of our um, local small businesses to supply things in the stores, too. Um, so, you know, it's really looking at business, helping us, you know, when you're going to do minimum wage and all of these other type of bills, really understand the true impact it has on us and on any business. From the restaurant side, um, we continue to, to pound the same drum and, and maybe I can share that in just a little different form. So the restaurants have capacity issues, they have staffing issues, they have supply chain issues, and they have government mandate issues. I want to first say what Tina said, and that is how grateful we are for all the, those, not just the governor and not just Mayor Blangiardi, but those inside the government who have worked really hard on our behalf to help us. There are so many unspoken heroes out there of people and the, and some of the public will never know them. We know them and we're grateful for them. So I don't, my next comment doesn't apply to them because we love and appreciate them. But as we, you, you asked, what, what are we asking for? We're asking for the government to take a bow for the great things that they've done and give us back the steering wheel. That's what we're asking for. It's time for us the owners, operators, and entrepreneurs to have the businesses back. We appreciate what's been done, but we can take it from here. Now, some will say, yeah, but what about the spike? We're going to have spikes. We're going to see triple digits. We've got a whole bunch of other mechanisms to be able to measure things. But what we need now 
after 15 going on 16 months of government intervention is for them to trust that we've got this and to give it back to us and let us go, let us go forward. Greg Maples of the Hawaii Restaurant Association and Tina Yamaki of the Retail Merchants of Hawaii, we thank you both for being with us again this morning and for sharing uh, the concerns and giving us really a pulse of restaurants and retails. These are such important businesses in our community, and we really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Aloha. Great to hear from both of them. Wonderful to hear that things are looking up. But as Greg mentioned there at the end, you know, they are facing so many challenges. Tina talked about the sort of financial hole that so many of these folks find themselves in and really trying to dig their way out. Uh, it sounds like they're really calling for giving back the reins to the to the individuals as opposed to having to fight through all these regulations. And we do see in the comments, what about the spikes as, as, as Greg noted there. Um, so you do see that tension there. Uh, good to hear that things are better, but certainly a lot of struggles ahead for both retails and uh, restaurant association. And while it is, of course, confined to these businesses, uh, that ultimately correlates and passes down to those who patronize these businesses, the customers, the consumers, whether it be for higher prices, longer wait times. Uh, there are so many things that ultimately get impacted. Uh, every person here in our community can feel the impact uh, of this pandemic and the regulations and everything that has been put in place to protect the public. But at the same time, it does come at a cost. And we're seeing firsthand, as they mentioned, a number of businesses and establishments have had to close their doors and change their operations drastically because of some of the limitations that they've in place and not being able to sustain the business model that they initially had built around uh, what they thought they were going into business for. You know, Greg said, it's already hard doing a business and being uh, in the restaurant business, uh, let alone doing so under the conditions that uh, each are facing right now. And so important conversation to continue to have to get an idea of what they're going through. Oftentimes we just see the long wait times, we see uh, how hard it is to get reservations, uh, but there definitely is pressure and a lot of stress that the owners and those on the ground feel as well. Of course, what we hear from everyone is that they just can't staff up quick enough, be it a small business, a big business, or a restaurant. Uh, and what impact does that federal plus up, that extra $300 a week in unemployment benefits really have? We're going to be talking with Ann Pereira Eustaquio on Wednesday. She is the director of the Department of Labor and Industrial Relations. She's going to tell us a little bit more about the benefits that are available when those things are sunsetting and what the state hopes that will mean for the unemployment landscape here in Hawaii. So join us at 1030 on Wednesday for that conversation. And then on Friday, we'll be talking to the Lieutenant Governor, Josh Green, who uh, has been, of course, uh, at the forefront of this pandemic. Want to talk to him about his thoughts about the governor's uh, continued stance on this 70% vaccination rate. The governor sounds like he will not be moving that goalpost, as some have alluded to. Uh, and, and even though the Lieutenant Governor has asked for a lifting of some of those restrictions and changing of this benchmark of 70%. The governor has said that he will continue to stay steadfast in that. And with these increased numbers, as we uh, saw, I uh, want to get the lieutenant governor's take on all this. And also, there's been a lot of talk about the race for governor. So we want to talk to him about that as well. Looking forward to having those conversations this week. Thank you so much for tuning in and for all your questions. We'll see you right back here on Wednesday for another edition of Spotlight Hawaii at 1030. Aloha. Aloha.